So after last week, I feel slightly guilty because I actually enjoyed these two episodes a lot. I agree. Yeah. I like these two episodes as well. I think I would like to take this week to figure out why I liked them exactly because, and I think it might be as simple as we've talked about Voyager wanting to be a an action-adventure science fiction show, and I think these two episodes were really good at being an action-adventure science fiction show. Huh. That's interesting because I kind of feel the exact opposite, but... Well, you know, and we, I we, guess they aren't. We, we can we can work through that. I guess actiony isn't really the uh, word for it because it's not like these are big space battles or anything like that. They aren't dealing with monsters or anything. I don't know. It felt like both of these finally figured out what it. Both of these episodes have a very good idea of what it really does mean to be the Federation in the Delta Quadrant at this point in time. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like. For me, what is interesting about watching these two episodes, and we're, we're talking about False Prophets and, and Remember, is that this is Star Trek Voyager as TNG. Yeah. Like, these two episodes hmm. feel so much like TNG episodes that yeah. it is almost disorienting. And if I had more time in my life, I, I would like to go back and rewatch season seven of TNG, the, the one Jerry Taylor led season only because I would like to see if there were some resonances there. Yeah. And I, I feel like there would be. And, and interestingly enough, like, well, you know, we'll talk more about remember in a few minutes, but that actually was a TNG episode that, that was intended for Deanna Troy that they never made. Oh. So like that part, that's part of the reason why it feels like a TNG yeah. episode because it was, but but even False Prophets kind of feels like a TNG episode. Like what what I find interesting about both of these episodes is that they are structured in a very classical Star Trek TNG way, which is that they are both really centered around the captain's log in, in a way that a lot of Voyager episodes yeah. have not been. And Deep Space Nine episodes were not structured that way either. That Janeway's captain's logs are framing these episodes, framing these plots, getting us into the action in a way that I don't think Voyager has really done before. Now, part of that, of course, may be the influence of Jerry Taylor. I think that, you know, for for all of her strengths or weaknesses, she was a very, I think, in a certain sense, by the numbers, you know, showrunner for Star Trek. And, you know, she had no great love of science fiction. I don't think that she worked on a science fiction show before TNG and and she got involved in, in this franchise. And I'm not trying to denigrate her. Like, I think that we do need to give her credit. Like, these are two pretty good episodes of television. Yeah. And especially an episode like False Prophets, which which could have been really bad. And, you know, certainly I don't think it's, like, great. Um, or, or it's not a classic or it's not revelatory or anything like that. But it's it's pretty well done and it's pretty competently executed. And I think it... You know, it has something to say. It sort of, like you said, has figured out a way that these characters can be the Federation in the Delta Quadrant and that it all kind of works. And I think these characters are sort of gelling together. I think, you know, for for me, like False Prophets is really one of the first episodes where I buy these people as a crew. Yeah, it it feels like they're a team who has to deal with a problem. And they're going to attack it from these different angles. Like, again, like the TNG crew had to. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, you know, that, like I said, that could just be because Jerry Taylor was treating this show like Star Trek <laughs> TNG. I yeah, mean, but I mean, uh, uh, it's, 
compared to what we've had so far this season, I enjoyed these episodes, and maybe that's... I mean, it's not not to say that these episodes aren't dealing with themes or anything like that, but it's not... I, I, I think when it was trying to have gravitas, like the episode with the Doctor, or like the end of the two-parter, it was fucking failing, and these episodes are not trying to have, the, the you know story plot or gravitas to them they're just trying to be a self-contained thing and they work so much better yeah well i think what you're really saying is you're seeing the the interest of jerry, jerry taylor as a, as a showrunner and a storyteller because you know she was not a fan of, mm-hmm. of the Kazon arc she was not a fan of long-term storytelling oh and uh, um and you sorry have we done with the vidians as well by the way i believe we see them again okay i was just half curious about that but anyway um, but I don't think that Jerry Taylor hated the Vidians as much as he <laughs> hated the case on, but, but it is the case that I think that you're, you're seeing her, her storytelling instincts kind of show up in these episodes. And I don't know. I mean, I think that on the one hand you could say, why the hell do you want to revisit the Ferengi that yeah. disappeared in that episode of TNG, the price. But then again, why not? Like yeah. they're in the Delta quadrant. They're there. You can do an interesting story about it. And, you know, is it like, like I said, is it sort of a revelatory hour of television? No, but I buy that these people would want to help solve this problem because they feel responsible for it in a way. Yeah, and I thought the Voyager did an excellent, I thought this episode did an excellent job of understanding what the Ferengi are. Again, TNG had such a weird relationship with them, uh... DS9 did a lot for that, and this is certainly building on some of the world building of the Ferengi we've gotten from DS9, but this episode feels like a very effective way of having a Ferengi villain, and I like effective Ferengi villains just because there are so many times they weren't done right. Yeah, because one of the interesting things is that, you know, like you said, Deep Space Nine was really the show that that identified the Ferengi, what they're for, really defined them in a way. Uh, at the same time, I mean, I think you were more of a fan of Frankie episodes than I was, but I'm not a huge fan of Frankie episodes. Yeah. And, you know, if you've listened to all 2,438 <laughs> episodes of this podcast, you will know exactly why I'm not a fan of Frankie episodes. Yeah. And I was sort of joking at the end of last week's podcast about, oh, God, it's a Frankie episode. Strap in. Here we go. But it, you know, I think that, that Voyager doesn't get enough credit for paying attention to things. Yeah. And, you know, certainly I, I I think that Voyager falls down sometimes, but they were paying attention to what was being done with the Ferengi on DS9. They were paying attention to the, the, the existence of the rules of acquisition, for example. I mean, like that, the rules of acquisition, if you remember, were were created for DS9. They, they did not appear in yeah. TNG at all. And so they're aware of what's going on and they take the characters from the price yeah. those two Ferengi. I mean, even to the point where they went back and they, they got the guy who played the Ferengi in the price to play the Ferengi in this episode. Yeah. They remembered that um, at the end of that episode, they ended up in the Delta quad quadrant, which I had totally forgotten about that episode until I, the, the point where I remembered it when they were saying is that the wormhole kept like jumping around and, oh yeah, I, I remember that twist at the end. But, um, yeah, they remember that these two are in the Delta Quadrant, and why not have Voyager happen upon them? Makes sure, sense. yeah, exactly. Because I think it, it it's an inter- like you said, it's an interesting test case for how this crew is going to to Federation in the Delta Quadrant. Yeah, and you know, I I think that the 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 lesser the the, the non successful part of this episode is the wormhole story, but you know, we can talk about that in a few yeah. minutes. 
because I think it's very perfunctorily done. I think the show is not interested in, yeah, at this point I in them getting back home. It does the wormhole story enough to set up the situation and also, you know, explain why Gilligan and everyone is still on the island at the end. But that's about as much as it cares about the wormhole. Right. And I mean, like, they, the Frankie do get home at the end of the episode, right? Like, they go back to the Alpha Quadrant. So they get sucked in. Well, maybe they don't. It's, I don't know. I, it's kind of, amb- I thought it was more ambiguous as to they entered the wormhole, but, you know, they have no way of knowing if they ended up in the Alpha Quadrant, if they ended up somewhere else in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, they popped out in the middle of Borg space. Yeah, like it could be a, it, it could be anything. Uh, and, oh, God. Now there's, now there's Borg Ferengi. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right, because I mean, like, well, let's deal with the wormhole plot now. Why not? Because on the one hand, I think that Voyager obviously recognizes that they would be interested in trying to get home through mm-hmm. this wormhole. And that, you know, they have information on the Barzan wormhole. They know exactly what was going on in the negotiations. They have information on the fact that this Ferengi ship and these two Ferengi got sucked in and ended up in the Delta Quadrant. All of these things are true. Uh, it is also the case, of course, that Janeway would be interested in trying to science a way yeah. um, for them to use the wormhole to get back to the Alpha Quadrant. But I think you can see in the show that from, you know, from the the way that the scenes are written and played, the way that they don't really have a lot of screen time, that that's not the focus of the episode. And that, like, if this had been a Michael Pillar yeah. show run episode, I think that would have been the focus of the episode to the to that episode. I think to that uh, uh, episode's detriment, detriment, because that's not interesting we don't care about voyager getting home at this point i mean i don't maybe you do well but i know they're going to in in season seven i guess is the thing like i know they're not going to so i guess for me is can they do something interesting with the failure to get home and i feel like they do at the end in that it is a replay of the choice from the pilot right they have to choose between can we go home and, you know, we could take this wormhole, we could ignore the Ferengi that are going back to this planet and get home and, you know, deal with it later. Or we can stop this planet from being corrupted again by these two assholes and they, the Federation thing to do is, it doesn't matter if we can get home, we have to stop the planet from being corrupted by these two assholes because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, certainly there there is a, a, an element of that yeah. in this episode, and I think that you know, as uh, uh, Tom Paris and Chakotay and, and and Neelix, you know, playing a Ferengi, um, are having their adventures on the planet and trying to convince the Ferengi to to leave, they are still working on the wormhole, and I think that like there's an indication here that they are back to full strength that Janeway believes that they can have their cake and eat it too, that they can do all of the, you know, they can walk and chew mm-hmm. gum at the same time. Like they can get the Ferengi and they can save this planet and get back to normal. And they can also use the wormhole to get home. What, what, what fucks it up for them, of course, is the, the Ferengi being a little more, I mean, I don't know. There, there is a little bit of a plotty element to it, which is like, okay, the Ferengi were able to overpower yeah. the one guard that, that were taking them to wherever they were being taken. They get their ship, they get into the ship, you know, they're able to, to uh, uh, create that graviton pulse yeah. or whatever, and it messes up the wormhole and they can't get home. Uh, so that's a, that's an unforeseen series of events that obviously is not a, a good thing for Voyager. Yeah. 
Uh, but also, I think that there there is a little bit of a recklessness there because you know if you remember the end of the episode, the the Ferengi go into the wormhole and Janeway's like, we need to go after them, but they don't know where the wormhole is exiting anymore. Like because yeah. Kim seems to know by that point that the wormhole has both. Uh, the exit and the entrance are both uh, uh, moving around space. So yeah. where would they end up? We don't know. Either they're going to end up on another planet doing the same thing, and that is terrible, But or they're going to end up in the Alpha Quadrant, in which case you know the Federation and the uh, Ferengi will deal with them as appropriate, or they're going to end up, as you say, in Borg space, and they'll get eaten in about 15 minutes. So right. I think two th- just, just based on that, you have a two-thirds shot uh, which says let it handle itself well and the other thing too of course is that uh, you know i there, i was reading this um uh, web page that, that kind of like had a galactic map and, and was sort of saying like okay here's where voyager is yeah. and here's where it's going and stuff and so essentially you, you know you could kind of say well it's a roll of the dice because voyager was pretty much on the 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 opposite end of the galaxy from the federation and so they were pretty much at their worst point i mean the worst thing that would happen is that they would go through the wormhole and they would end up back near the ocampa again and they'd have to go through all that shit again uh but that obviously was not going to happen because jerry taylor didn't like the kazon so she would not have done that um but i think that like so so there is an element to it which is you can kind of understand janeway's reaction to to try and go through the wormhole because why not like even if they don't know where they're going to end up it can't really be any worse than where they are right now kind of thing but what's going on in the beta quadrant by the way i mean couldn't it have could it do has that really been explored they could just end up at the other end of the beta quadrant and have the same exact problem except they don't well they accomplish it i don't think the beta quadrant is as far Hmm. i think so it's not not really a quadrant then (laughs) Well, it is, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I don't know. It's like the Delta. Qu- I don't know. Like, I don't. don't really I have to. I, I just want to interject and say I don't really care about the physical position and space of all of this. Like, and maybe this is because the show doesn't really care about it either. I just, it's really fucking far. It's seventy three years at this point. That that's really all that matters to me. I think the Milky Way galaxy is like a hundred thousand light years across. I don't know. So take that Who information knows? as you will. Uh, also part of the Klingon empires in the beta quadrant. So it's not that far. Um, well, let, let's talk about the the planet then, because like, I don't know when, when, when I told you last week that, that Voyager was doing a Frankie episode, I mean, like, obviously I was playing it up for laughs a little bit, but uh, I don't know. Were you worried about what this episode was going to be? And were you pleasantly surprised or not that it turned out to be this? I guess I wasn't really sure because again, we had that stuff with Sulu the other week, which was just dire. But then again, we had that one episode with the uh, Romulan that they had the, con- the 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 audio connection to, and that they found out was, uh, and I kind of liked that. Um, so I I was hoping it would be more along those lines, like using it to, to talk about the isolation so much. And I found that I I thought the Ferengi did work out pretty well there. Um, I mean, this is a story that wouldn't really work as well in the Alpha Quadrant, just given that. It's more civilized. They would have more of a idea of who the Ferengi were, or something like that. I mean, this does have this does have to take place in a place where no one's heard of the Ferengi. One can believe that they are divine messengers, and where there are no cops to take care of that. In a way, yeah. Because I mean, like on the one hand, I think you could probably argue that the Ferengi plotline in this episode is is a pretty is. 
is fairly plotty. Like yeah. there's a lot of coincidences that have to line up for them to be able to get into this position of being viewed as these mm. uh, uh, sages, right? Yeah, and uh, eventually the, other the hand, last verse, which ousts them in the end, is a big co- Yeah, it's true. But like on the other hand, does it matter? Like, no. you know, I mean, I think that, that this this is I think why this episode works is that it, it takes the Ferengi seriously. It thinks about what the Ferengi would do actually do in this situation mm-hmm. and yeah this is what they would do the ferengi don't care about anything except money they they want to be comfortable and they want to exploit people and so you know i think that it completely makes sense that the ferengi this this species that most of their members have this sort of inflated sense of self-importance and selfishness that they wouldn't really care what they were doing or yeah. why they were doing it or, or what they were doing to these people. And, you know, the other, I mean, the other interesting thing too, of course, is that there's, there's kind of an implication here that, that this is a very small part of this planet, of mm. course, and we don't know what's going on outside of it, but the Ferengi have been able to carve out a pretty comfortable life yeah. for themselves uh, at, you know, to, to the, detriment of this town but it's not like the ferengi are doing something that is like so bad I well mean, they're not we have genocide in the next episode up. they're not doing genocide yes they're not doing <laughs> genocide uh the ferengi are sort of like they're they're good villains because they are obviously villainous they don't fit into the federation ideals they don't fit into the ideals of the show that we believe in but they're also not murdering people yeah they're not monsters they're just assholes yeah i think <laughs> that's a really good way to put it actually and and so i think that's part of the reason why there's a you know because part of the interesting thing i think about false prophets is that it is a little bit languorous like there's a lot of false starts in this episode and the, you know it's a little bit the whole thing with neelix pretending to be the grand proxy while it's kind of ridiculous yeah it it also i think indicates to me exactly how seriously voyager's crew is taking this problem which is that you know they're trying to convince them to leave they're trying to um honor the the honor the species that is living on this planet and getting rid of them in a way that is consistent with their story so that they don't all fall into anarchy and start i don't know eating each other or something i don't know what would happen uh, and I don't know. I like it. I just I think that and, and watching know, Ethan Phillips as a Ferengi is always a good time. It's the thing. I mean, even Neelix even confesses I've never even seen a Ferengi before. I mean, it does make no sense that the character with the least experience with the Ferengi is going to be able to, is going to pretend to be. But again, number one, they need somebody who's going to be able to handle the prosthetics. And uh, they also wanted to it's a broad comic scene i mean that scene i thought was hilarious and neelix is the actor who can best pull that off i mean who else on the ship would be able to play up that scene ham it up like that chakotay no not chakotay (laughs) (laughs) can you imagine christ Uh, um well yeah and also ethan neelix played a ferengi before so he yeah he knew he knew how to do it yeah yeah um yeah, you know, and I also think it's interesting because, like, obviously this is not a very character-heavy episode, uh, but it has a sense of—I think both of these episodes actually are interesting because, like, Voyager's characters are not very well-defined, but the, they're they're used in a way that, that uses the information we have about them appropriately. Like, we know that Neelix can think on his feet. We know that Neelix um, has a—I don't know. Like, he's— 
he's competent in a way in situations that are not aggressively dangerous. And yeah, okay, they're having a sword fight and it's kind of ridiculous, but I don't know. It, it's well, just... we don't take the Ferengi seriously physically as a villain. Again, they are the kind of people who will dig in and exploit a people and do that. But we don't feel, you know, we don't really take them seriously in a fight. And neither do we take Neelix seriously in a fight. And so it, it does come up as a clumsy scene where everybody's just screaming. And finally, they're just going to stand down because the Ferengi don't want to kill Neelix any more than he wants to be killed in a way. Like they, 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 it's too bloody for them, really. When you get into it, uh, yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah, that that's completely accurate. I think. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the, you know, talk about characters. I'm thinking about when they're having the meeting about, you know, do we deal with this problem or not? And technically, under the prime directive, we really shouldn't deal with this situation. This isn't ours. And yet everybody knows the right thing to do is to stop these people because we can do it. And again, it's the right thing to do. And so Janeway does this very shady, half-assed logic of, well, technically, initially, it was a Federation ship that they were on. And so technically the situation isn't over so really it belongs to us and so it is our jurisdiction you know again she's using this really terrible logic to get to it and you have two boxes no that sound and i mean that that right there i mean i'm thinking of in the swarm when she said well you know she tried to logic her way into we can break the prime directive about going into enemy territory because it's gonna save us 15 months and that was total bullshit and, it, right. you know, put them into a very dangerous situation for no reason. And I hated that, again, because it was for no reason. Here they have a very specific goal in mind. This planet is being exploited by two people that we can get out without major risk to ourselves. And, you know, if we need to massage the jurisdiction so that we can do it, it's still the right thing to do. Yeah, I think so. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you and I kind of disagree with you because I think that, I don't know, I think Janeway's logic is fine. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not... It's stretched. So, it's <laughs> stretched a little bit, but it's I don't think it's stretching to the point Fair. of breaking it. And it's the kind of thing that Picard or yeah. Sister would do, honestly. like well, Or Kirk, for that matter. Like, it, it puts Janeway in a long line yeah. of captains that come up with weird logic to justify having an episode. And... Works for me. But again, unlike what we had with the Swarm, I buy her logic. Again, if it isn't quite following the letter of the law, it's following the spirit of the Federation. Going through the Swarm territory was not following the spirit of the Federation, really. Yes. And and I think, I mean, not, not, to, not to harp on the Swarm again, but I was thinking about that episode this week. And, you know, what, what I'm not necessarily against... The idea of Janeway as a Starfleet captain changing her mind mm-hmm. about having to abandon some of the Starfleet principles or stretch them to to get through this very extraordinary circumstance yeah. that the Starfleet rulebook did not, uh, uh, you know, imagine was possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it is done in a very sloppy way that makes Janeway seem a little bit bipolar. Um, like I needed, I, I'm, I'm, I can buy the show making that character change, but it, it makes, it, it doesn't do the groundwork. The show is not yeah. interested enough in character work to make that believable. And so it either should not do that or it should like, well, it, it just shouldn't do that. Well, Jane I mean, that, is a that person. is really what it comes down to. 
Oh, sorry. Jane Janeway is a person who has said again early on. Well, you know, I have to. Janeway thinks of herself as a person with very strong principles whose ethics are very immutable, and yet. I mean, I don't think it is bad to have situational ethics. I think to a degree, having ironclad principles that you stick to no matter what is a detriment. I think at some point there are going to be situations that are so outside the realm of possibility that your ethics didn't really take into account and maybe in the situation this is the wrong choice. Again, even if there is an ironclad prime directive reason against dealing with the Federate dealing with the Ferengi in this episode it's not the right thing to do, especially, you know, in the, in this case, uh, even if there is, uh, so leaving the Frankie alone, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's right. And I think maybe that's the final point that I want to make about this episode is that I'm okay with Janeway weaseling her way out of yeah. following the letter of the law, but False prophets actually makes that chain of logic believable, whereas yes. the swarm does not. Yes, and the, you know the swarm just kind of they need to have an episode happen, and so she decides to do this because they need an episode to happen. Whereas false prophets, they need an episode to happen, but I, I believe her logic a lot more. Yeah, and again, I, I think a big problem in the swarm is that you know we have to do this right now when so much when the doctor plot meant let's wait a week and see what happens. We can do that and no one will be upset. Uh, right. Again, you're right. I didn't buy the logic. I guess I like the I, I like where the planet goes in the end of this. Uh in that I I in that when they expel the Ferengi they go into it, things things seem to be going well. In in other words, when when the Ferengi are first beamed out and you have that one guy who's their assistant and he's, like, sitting on the couch and, like, you know, looking at all the treasures and stuff, I mean, I was ultimately going to worry that this would be, well, the Ferengi are gone, but the spirit of exploitative capitalism is still on this planet and, you know, they didn't. I was worried that that was the direction they were going to go and yet – at the ending, we see him, you know, divvying up all the treasure to everybody, and you get the implication that things are going to go back into a more communal way of life and all of that, and that having dealt with how bad all of this was and how, you know, shitty these two guys running the planet was, all right, let's go into something a lot nicer. And, I mean, I guess that that is what f we've been talking about, does Voyager feel like Star Trek? That ending felt like Star Trek. Okay, I'll buy that. Well, speaking of things that are bad, we need to talk about Remember. But before we do that, I just want to take this opportunity to quickly remind all of you, our loyal listeners, that Trekabout is listener-supported. If you would like to financially support Trekabout, please go to patreon.com slash trekaboutshow and give now. We would very much appreciate it. Now let's talk about Nazis. I feel like we talk about Nazis a lot more than maybe even my grandparents talked about Nazis. What the fuck? <laughs> well, they beat the Nazis, so they didn't have to talk about them anymore. Huh. Uh, or, they, or they thought they did. Well, you know, in this episode, they uh, beat the people who don't use soap, and so uh, they, they don't talk about them anymore, I guess. Um, I liked this episode a lot. Again, talk about an episode that had some gravitas to it. Um I I don't know. This episode felt like it earned its seriousness. Again, it felt like a TNG episode. I could see this being a TNG episode. This was completely a TNG yeah. episode. I mean, this had nothing to do with Voyager at all. And 
yeah, you could say that's a bad thing, but I like episodic television, and so I don't yeah. have a problem with it. I mean, like I said before, this was originally a TNG episode. Um, they had designed this for Deanna Troy, and I just guessed that it was one of those episodes that they could never figure out how to make work, and so they abandoned it. And uh, they they brought it back for Voyager. They they adopted it for Belana Torres. I actually think that Belana Torres as this character works a lot better because yeah. she is so hot-headed and we don't really see this side of her very often. And so in a sense, I think this works a lot better as a Balana story because we buy the escalating anger yeah. that is flowing throughout her scenes in this episode, culminating in the scene in the mess hall where she confronts the the Inarans about about the the Holocaust that they committed essentially and covered up. Oh, and I would say more importantly, I think in the ending where she actually does figure out how to begin to get the Inarans to reckon with this point of their history is also very Balana because she is somebody who has been able to hone her anger and her hot headedness into something more disciplined and effective. Again, this episode is figuring out how do you tell people about you know, the ugliness of their history and the answer isn't yelling at them, but showing and explaining, I guess. Um, I mean, watching this episode at first, I was like, why didn't they remember that Kessa's psychic? She would be a perfect one to have this plot happen to her again, just as Deanna Troy would have been a perfect person to have this plot happen to her. But I also think it's significant that Balana, as both half-human and half-Klingon, is able to reckon is able to have the perspective to reckon with both sides of their history, both species of which have done terrible things and which Balana has had to live with and understand and deal with and move on from. Yeah, well, and I also think that that like you're right. Yeah, like Cass or or, or Deanna Troy being telepathic or, yeah. or psychic, psychic to some degree, uh, you know, would make more sense for them to sort of be affected by this, but. I, there's a there's a, a little bit of a violation aspect to this yes. that I think is interesting as well because you know it, it raises questions about okay what what the Anarans did or what some of them did was was obviously you know extremely terrible and uh, you know we are talking about a you know a Holocaust allegory here yeah um, but at the same time uh, the, the the ways in which the the character of of, of Karenna the old woman uh, you know essentially wants to get this story out there she feels very guilty I think it's you know, it, it really highlights the fact that, that A, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, the reason why genocide happens is because you don't view mm. those people as people. You view them as part of a group. And in-groups and out-groups are, are, are a constant source of friction, uh, you know, throughout human history, of course. And, and if you have something really... like hygiene and disease to justify your treatment of them, even better. Well, it's, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't want to read too much into that because I just think that's, you know, that that's the way that they justified it. I don't think that any of that was actually true. Um, But, you know, people used to say Jews were dirty. Yeah, yeah. no, I guess that's what I mean. Like if you can, you know, even make it it's a health benefit to get rid of these people. Obviously, that's propaganda. I mean, we we are told that these people are filthy, yet, you know, the ones we see are, you know, they they bathe, we can assume. (laughs) He seems extraordinarily clean. I would have sex with him. Yeah. Um, that that what it comes down to, of course, is that Karenna has had this personal relationship with with one of these regressives, and yeah, you could read that as problematic, but I also think that it's really instructive because 
you you don't break that down mm. until you have a personal relationship with these people. And the the fact of the matter is the entire episode hinges on whether or not you believe in this love story. And I think you know Dawson makes it work. Like she is doing yeah. some really good work in this episode. And it it is a, I think it's a real like I said it's a really really it's a better episode for being a Balana episode yeah. because it you you know I started out this this episode by saying that these two episodes you know it, it, they're not really strong character studies but they're using the characterizations that we have known and the relationships I mean because we'll talk about Chakotay and Balana yes. in a minute but the show is remembering who these people are you know not to make a pun on the title and Balana is someone who would be really interested in this she is apparently sexually frustrated yeah well. <laughs> I guess I would be too if I was stuck on a spaceship and had no one to have sex with. Um, but so I like the fact that she's able to be, uh, you know, it's incidental that that's happening, but it's a driving force for her to want to get into these stories. Yeah. And eventually, she, you know, at first she thinks, oh, I'm having some sexy dreams and this is exciting. Yeah. And then, of course, she gets further and further down this road and these dreams are getting more and more scary and problematic and worrying for her to the degree that she knows she's being snowed. And there is a I like I like how this episode uses both her um, her vulnerability and her stubbornness. You know, mm. Bilana has always been a character that has been shown to be stubborn. I mean, even in an episode like um, uh, Prototype, for instance, or Maneuvers, right? Like she hammers away at these problems yeah. until she solves them. And and that is exactly how she approaches the dreams in this episode as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is again. She's a she's a geek. When she has a puzzle, she has to solve it. There is no way that she's going to. And she also has a very good bullshit detector. She knows when she's be, you know the explanation of well, gee, these are probably just fragments from a dozen people. And if you're putting them in your mind to a narrative, well, that's just what you're. You know, that's just the way dreams work, you know, and she knows she's being lied to at that. She she trusts herself. She trusts her own perceptions in a way. Uh, she doesn't believe that, you know, her version of events is wrong. And so she is going to keep going to this instead of just assuming, well, it's just, you know, junk. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other... You know, we'll talk more about Balana, I'm sure, in the storyline. But what is what I struggle with with this episode is the Anorans as a concept, because, of mm. course, you know, it, it is the case that they are, in a sense, too good to be true. And and they have this dark secret and, you know, they, yeah. they have lied to their children and their children have no idea what was going on. And uh, even to the point where we see that in a dream where they're at the the yeah. gate to the ghetto that they created for these people. And they're like, yeah, they all died. Isn't that terrible? And, you know, they should, you know, it is the end result of the the genocide. I mean, in a, in a certain sense, you look at it and you say, well, what would happen if Germany was the entire world? And would they be able to pull off this huge lie? Um Maybe the answer is yes. I don't know. They certainly seem but to think so. <laughs> they certainly seem to think so. Yeah. But also it is just an allegory. I mean, it's not like yeah. we're not really supposed to take this literally. But there but... are Holocaust deniers out there. And this episode is, I, I, I think, taking that into account. And given the way that in our society now we see people trying to embrace fascism, I think it's important to figure that out. Like this is not a... This is not this episode it may be a metaphor but it's not a simple thought exercise this is an actual problem. 
Yeah, but I think that interestingly enough, one of the reasons why this episode works so well, at least for me, maybe you disagree, is it it mostly leaves politics out of it. Like yeah. we don't know what the Inaran government is like. We we do get that creepy scene with the you know uh, Inaran Nazi youth um, where they're they're you know murdering yeah. the people and they're all chanting and throwing up their arms and stuff. It does have some sort of fascist undertones, but. I don't know. I don't think we need politics in this episode to be part of it. Um, well, I think it's it's a strong enough episode without that that we don't really need to take that into consideration, and or, or at least the episode doesn't need to make that explicit. I think. Well, I think this goes with the. See, I, I I'm finding it difficult to watch this episode taking politics out of it in 1990, what six or whatever when this is coming out. Maybe it's easier too, but well, well, I just mean like let, let me clarify that. Okay. I, I think you're misunderstanding me a little bit. I don't I don't mean that that we need to take politics out of it. I mean that the episode oh, yeah. doesn't really engage with the politics of this because well that's not what is important to the episode's story. But obviously there are overtones I, okay, I get of mean. our own politics in this episode. Well I guess what I want to say is that there is this sense sometimes that well we need to hear these ideas so we can debate them. Uh you know, we need to See, you know, we need to listen to Milo Yiannopoulos in order to actually tell him that, no, you know, sunlight's the best disinfectant. I think this episode says mass murder and othering people is a priori wrong. This is a fucking Star Trek show. Why are you even asking this question? Like, it disengages with this politics because it views the politics as self-evident, maybe. Yeah, I think so. And and I mean, maybe there's a little bit of naivete to that. I mean, uh, you know, like we are talking about 1996. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, that was the age of, you know, the, the long, the never ending peace. And everyone thought that the world was great. I mean, the 90s were probably the, yeah. you know, as we turn out, it was a lie. But, you know, you think about that age and you think about the fact that that was sort of, you know, people called that the end of history. Like the Soviet Union had collapsed. Yeah. Capitalism was ascendant. Neoliberalism was ascendant. Like, and certainly, yes, there were a lot of problems in the world. And now that we look back on that time, we well, realize that a lot of the seeds of uh, the current problems that we are dealing with were were founded then. But at the time, it it did not seem relevant to worry about fascism because it yeah. was done with. Well, yeah, the 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 implication that the, the the story that I had always been told was that yes, back in the day we had slavery, we were horrible to immigrants. But you know something, we ended slavery, and you know immigrants got accepted, and now we're a multicultural nation, and everything is okay. And I, you know, we were those little children in this episode that are being told that. You know, this was something that happened in the past, but now it's gone and we're all right now and we live properly and we don't have to deal with these threads that are still in us. And now we are seeing the dividends of that. I mean, the episode makes explicitly the point that if you forget what has happened in history, I mean, it's a if those who don't live history are doomed to repeat it kind of a thing. Event, yeah, yes, now Anarin society is one people, but... If we forget that, eventually, if we forget that, eventually it will split into another group. Some other group will appear that will have enough differences that people again. This this episode is essentially a battle fought over hand washing. It doesn't yeah. really fucking matter what the difference is between these two people. The race, as constructed in the Inarans, is that imaginary. Yeah, no, I agree with that because. 
a part of why the episode works is that the Anarans seem fine. Yeah, they see, they're nice people. They're super sweet to them. They are their their dealings with the Voyager are very above board. They're very friendly people. They have beautiful music. I mean, in the beginning of the episode, the worst thing that happens is the one guy gives uh, Janeway the, the the this you know basically controls her with this knowledge of music and you know just it's a gaffe. He doesn't realize that you know maybe he's doing something that she didn't you know really want because she didn't quite understand that and it's smoothed over he his apology is sincere yeah that's the thing i mean i don't know it's it's it it feels weird to say that these are not bad people but it's more i think a case of you know to to borrow uh anna harren's phrase like the banality evil right like evil is not this like mustache twirling villain who is very obvious it is just normal everyday people who uh, 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 adapt to ever worsening circumstances and and sort of you know just kind of convince them or not even convince themselves like they just go along with it because they don't really think about what they're doing and they seem to make it clear that uh corinna in this episode is just fairly i mean i i get the sense that in the flashbacks when she's with uh what's his name She's supposed to be, you know, maybe 18, 19, 20. She's young. She's dealing with an extraordinary passion. Her society is going crazy. She's being given certain honors, and she's torn between her lover and her father. And, uh, you know, if she makes the wrong choice, uh, it's only as an adult with more experience and a lot of thought that she's able to recognize that. And to her credit, she's trying to do what she can to rectify that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what really works about the episode is that, you know, I think his name is Dathan. Like, he doesn't, he's not a bad guy. And obviously, I mean, there's no reason why his people should be murdered. I mean, I don't, we're not arguing that they should be. (laughs) And I guess why, my question is, why is it always genocide? Why couldn't they really relocate them to a nice land where they could? But anyway. Then, well, because why? Why do you want to spend all those resources on people that you don't care about or don't think are are, are human? Like, I mean, you know. Scarcity If you. If you think that those, I mean, if you're justifying your hatred of this group of people yeah. because they're dangerous, well, the way you solve that is by murdering them all because <laughs> then they can't spread disease anymore. Yeah. You know, they're probably not really doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 the, the one thing, I mean, this is a minor point, but I, I think the one thing that always does crack me up a little bit about this episode is that essentially the regressives are Amish. Yeah. And it just always strikes me as like so weird that anybody would like, genocide the amish <laughs> like like who cares but anyway yeah but you know i i'm sure there are people who do feel that way um again and especially when you have i mean i i i buy it because this is a society that again i he- keep harping on the differences that is this hygiene thing but this is a society which essentially washes their hand to re- hands to relieve stress and so yeah, there there is an obsession with cleanliness. We don't know if there was maybe a horrible plague in their history. Maybe there was. Maybe there is a reason that they fear disease so much. And I I, I mean, if the phage is ever cured, do you think the Vidians will be very nice towards people who are sick? It's a good question. Hmm. I don't know. I think you probably thought more about the Vidians than the <laughs> phage ever did. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and I and I think that. I guess let's talk about Chakotay a little bit because 
I think I've, I I find the relationship between him and Bolana really interesting and really earned. I mean, this is her superior officer who is wondering why she's late to duty, which is, you know, a serious offense in a, in a situation like this. And she's openly say, telling him basically, well, I had a bunch of sexy dreams and I overslept. Like, I'm really enjoying these sexy dreams. <laughs> and even though he does make it clear, like, this is not to happen again... He's also, he's not unreceptive to the gossip that she's giving him in a way. Like, they do have, yeah. that, they do have that level of intimacy. I mean, I get the feeling that the, it's made it very clear that on the Maki ship, there wasn't that much in the way of protocol in certain ways. And so, yeah, the talk there was probably a bit more free. And this isn't the first time that Chakotay and Balana have talked about their sex life, which isn't very existent for either of them. But anyway, um... Well, if we remember, I mean, Seska, yeah. was was gossiping about uh, Seska and Chakotay. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think that's right, and I mean, one of the things that that I like about that so much is that you know, like Balana and Chakotay do not share a lot of screen time together. Um, I don't think that Chakotay is being very well served by the show, which you know we yeah. can talk about at some point, but it doesn't forget that those characters knew each other and that they had a very particular sort of relationship and that the command structure of the Maquis was, was much more informal than that of Starfleet. Uh, And that, you know, Chakotay, Chakotay gossiping or talking about things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about with the captain of your Starfleet ship. Yeah. um, That completely makes sense to me. Like it's a very sort of loose ad hoc structure that doesn't really hew to any sort of, normal uh you know commands at all and so chakotay and balana falling back into those patterns i think is nice because it it, the show is pretty much at this point i think done all it's going to do with the maquis stuff and you know it's pretty much done at this point uh it was also something i don't think that jerry taylor was very interested in surprise surprise. surprise. (laughs) so the fact that the show is able to bring even that little element into it, I think, is is to the show's credit. I mean, this episode gives me the little, here's my fan theory, that at some point, you know, Balan and Chakotay maybe did sleep together, get it out of their systems, and so, but in a way which, you know, they don't really have to worry around each other. Like, they can have, you know, it, it, it's the kind where it made them, you know, closer in their way, you know, they can talk this way, because it doesn't really matter, you know. I've seen you naked, it's not, I'm not going to be intimidated by you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it, too. I mean, if you go back to the idea from, like, uh, uh, TNG early on that and no one in, in the Federation in the 24th century has hang-ups around sex yeah. because, well, Gene Roddenberry was, was creepy <laughs> and, um, like, he had too a, much. But, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you go that that's an idea that was kind of baked into this this iteration of Star Trek, and so yeah. that is something that is still kind of out there. I do did very much appreciate that during the during Balana's, you know, when she's in the hall at the end, you know, talking about, you know, though you committed genocide against these people and all of that. There are some very significant looks from both Chakotay and Neelix, who have both both their people have dealt with being genocided. Yeah, that is true, too. Yeah, like, I mean, the, I. The show remembered that about them. It do, it's very subtle. Again, it's just like a couple of very quick cuts, but they are def, they they make a point to show Chakotay and Neelix in a way that they don't show, for example, Tuvok or Janeway. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's actually a really good point, and that does show. Like, this is an episode of Voyager, which remembers that yeah. things have happened before this episode of Voyager, and that yeah. these people have, like, you know, consistent sort of personalities, and that they have histories, and that there's a lot of different uh, 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 things going on that they remember. It it seems like this show remembers that even though it is episodic, it still has those yeah. elements to it. I mean, that, I like that. that to me feels like just a direct decision you know to show that scene or whatever but um and, and i guess it is talk you know i i guess this episode does understand their relationships very well as well because there was also that exchange between uh tuvok and janeway when uh you know after she tells you know balan okay we'll put this you know where i'm gonna keep investigating and tuvok's like you know tuvok basically says you know so you're gonna keep investigating this no matter what right and janeway says you know it's how long has it been since I've done anything that surprised you? Again, the two of them have that intimacy with each other. They know. Each yeah. Other which I actually mind. had a huge problem with that line. But, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's what, listen, if this episode, the beginnings of the season have so far felt like retconning a lot. I mean, this is resetting the levels. I think part of the reason I didn't like the first few episodes was how it is scuttling so much of what's gone on already. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, I think it. But if that's the relationship that they want Tuvok and Janeway to have from now on, like, I guess I'm viewing these two episodes as pilot again. You know, this is a new era. This is what the show is. And if the show is this, I'm okay with it, even if it's lesser than the promise at the beginning. Okay. Well, when we get to the end of, of Star Trek Voyager in approximately twenty thirty eight, yeah, uh, we can have a conversation about how you feel on how, how you feel about Voyager as a whole. Um, well, the last thing I want to mention before I wrap this episode up is the 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 end of the episode. I yeah. think is it's more ambiguous than Star Trek usually pulls off or or likes to yeah. even attempt, but I think it works really well, and I think it 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 does speak to what this episode is trying to say, yeah. which is that the Federation can't solve this problem for them. The Anarans need to solve this problem for themselves. And that, you know, Bolana at the, you know, it's like minute 43 of the episode and Bolana's in Janeway's ready room being like, help me. I'm going to go down to the planet and I'm going to, you know, be yeah. in San Diego and go all, go all around the Anaran homeworld and, and, and solve this problem and do all this research and find the secret documents that say that they murdered all yeah. the regressives, you know, and, and you're like, but the episode's over in two minutes. How is that? Where's this going? And, you know, Janeway's like, listen, Bolana, that's not our place. You you can't do that. And I think it, what, what I like about that scene so much is that it's very true to Janeway's character. Mm-hmm. And it's also very true to Bolana's character, that stubbornness that she has. Yeah. That, like, she feels like this is her problem to solve and that she is, by God, she is going to solve it. And Janeway's like, well, actually, you're not going to. So calm down. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, Bolana does kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, does kind of um, does kind of solve it in her own way, and also it comes from Janeway. You know, it's yeah. Janeway's uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge to Bellana. Hey, uh, they're still down in engineering. If you want to go say something to them, and I like that because it it does speak to Janeway's. Um, I think unconventional. Un- I think it speaks to Janeway's unconventionality sometimes, and mm. it also harkens back to the relationship that Bellana and Janeway have been building since the second episode of the show. 
Yeah, I think what I loved about the very final scene is that it finally reveals what this episode is actually about, which is not simply the fact that there was a genocide that needs to be uncovered, but that these people don't want to believe that of themselves. I mean, during the scene in the hall when she tells everybody, you people killed people, and, you know, nothing happens about it. I mean, the assumption that I had and you that I feel Bellana has is that there's no way that any of these people could reach inside my mind and see what I see. You know, all of these people have the ability to share their experiences, and even Dalton or whatever his name is offers to share the experience with Corinna when she's young of what exactly is she's seen, and she doesn't really go for it, and her father conveniently interrupts at that point. But the fact that nobody in the hall offers to corroborate Bellana's story is very telling, and you know, at the ending, when uh, the woman reveals, no, we can all do that. We can make the connection two-way. And she, w- what matters is that she's finally open enough to see the evidence. I mean, uh, yeah. Bolana could have presented incontrovertible proof of everything in that hall at that moment. And they would still be denying it. They would still be, well, that was faked. Or, you know, you don't understand what you're saying or whatever. Um, what it Well, t- I think... What it takes in order for the Anarans to reckon with their history, to understand what was done and what they did and what they are capable of, means that they have to be open enough to accepting this. And the fact that this woman is open enough to begin to accept this, and assumedly will be talk will be based on what Bellana has shown her, begin to make that journey into history that Bellana exhorts her to do. Uh, suggests that the Anarans do have that capability. It's just not going to happen in a dramatic speech. Well, it's yeah, and I, I agree with all of that. And I think the other part of that, of course, is that you know this is really an episode about deception and about how yeah. people you know deceive each other and the power of that. And you know w- what is interesting to me about that is the Anarans really, really want to keep this a secret. They really want to. Mm-hmm continue the lie that the regressives were resettled and they all died and they all killed each other because, hey, we, they didn't believe in our technology and they didn't believe in our magic rocks that clean your hands. And how hard must it be to keep a secret like that in a species of telepaths? They really mm. want to keep this covered up. And so that, I think, speaks even more to the the power of the deception that the Anarans have, that they are able to... Well, really, like, I think, uh, 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 circumvent their own biology in keeping this a secret from their own people. Well, in a, yeah, in a way, I wonder how, I mean, you, you know, you hear about how many people thought Auschwitz, you know, was just a sausage factory or whatever. Like, you wonder if there are, how many people actually know that the regressives are actually being killed. Does Corinna's father is he legitimately li- is he deliberately lying to his daughter or does he think because that's what people have told him that they're just being resettled elsewhere i mean we yeah i mean yeah that's certainly true as well because i mean if we if but, we take this and look at this from the point of view of of uh, uh the average german in yeah. 1942 i don't think that i mean they they certainly were not stupid and I, you know not not every well, german was marching jews off to concentration camps but 
and, and some of them certainly, I mean, a lot of them had no direct evidence that this was going on, but at the same time, like they're not stupid and, and, and they probably had some in, inclination of what was going on. So even if that old guy, yeah. uh, who Bolana, um, who, who Bolana confronted at the end of the episode, uh, was not, yeah. you know, go, gobble, gobbles or whatever, like he wasn't, uh, uh, the, the person influencing this an instrument it was not instrumental in the genocide but but he may have just been like you know an accountant but yeah they probably knew what was going on to some degree yeah well well, Well. i mean you know i i'm even thinking again stuff today how how many people have you know talking about a a aca repeal for example and you know well people will die i don't want to hear emotional arguments about this i mean i i feel that somebody said to people in uh, the Anarans, well, these are people too. You know, we can't just kill them. We can't resettle them. Well, I don't want to hear an emotional argument about this. They're spreading disease. Like, yeah, yeah. I I, I think there's an amount of willingness to not really think as deep as you need to in order to make your problems go away. Because as you said, there's a I well, mean, I to say that... you don't th- to say you don't think of the regressives as human, uh, I don't think it's even as active as that. You just don't see them mostly. I mean, most people don't see yeah. homeless people. Most people don't see Muslims, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like if you, I mean, this might be a stretch, but it gives me an opportunity to to berate neoliberalism a little bit. Is that um, if you look at what the Anarans did in sort of coming up with this very uh, cold scientific yeah. reason, which was completely bullshit. Of yeah. course, I mean the epi- the episode never, uh, in any way, makes us think that the the progressives were actually a problem at all, and then all of these reasons that why they were murdering them all was really bad. Or if there um, were diseases in the regressive, it's because you're herding them into a ghetto. But anyway, yeah, but like there is an element to which, like, I think you can make this episode uh, politically relevant nowadays because, of course, one of the reasons why neoliberalism is so immoral is that it it pretty much does that cold calculus of mm. turning human lives into a value and that, you know, we can we can put a value on welfare reform and we can put a value on a human life and these kinds of things. Yeah. And you know that is what neo neoliberalism is to a certain degree it is the acceptance of the capitalist idea that everyone can be turned into a resource yeah. and you know i think the way forward for 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 us and the way forward for the anarans of course is going to be to to extremely turn that on its head and to start to make very very strong moral arguments for fill in the blank but you can leave emotion out of it and still make very moral arguments. I mean, this is not something that is, I don't think it's going to be to the Anarans credit that, you know, uh, uh, the the woman at the end of the episode gets these, um, these uh, uh, memories from Bolana and then she's going to go on Anaran television and start screaming and ranting. No, uh, you know, that's not going to happen, but there is a power in uh, uh, being very, secure in yourself and making a moral argument that this is what needs to happen. And I think that's probably what's going to happen with the NRNs, yeah. but I like the fact that the episode leaves it ambiguous. Yeah. 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 Again, I get the sense that she's going to at least talk about this with somebody else. She's going to 
maybe, yes, go to, you know, maybe she will figure out a way of going to where the colony supposedly was and see what's up there, you know, or at least. Or someone's going to. Yeah, I mean, like she's she, going to tell going someone to continue, who will. She's going to continue to pass these memories along to anybody who wants to experience them, and that is how this is going to come out. Yeah, you know, she Balan is not going to be the one to beam down to the planet and find the the hole in the yeah. ground where the colony was supposed to be. You know, even this woman is not going to do that necessarily, uh, but someone will. What matters is the seeds of doubt have been spread, and eventually, people are going to question. Eventually, this is an idea that is not going to be killed; it's going to spread. Uh, Corinna's goal is set; it, it has happened. Her memories are going to be passed on. And that yeah. really is what's important. Again, that some people will be willing to hear the truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that would be a really good place to leave it, except that I do want to mention one other thing, which is that, once again, Harry Kim oh, does yeah. not get his dick wet. So Aww. I'm sorry, Harry Kim, but eventually you will have sex. Actually, it's interesting that like this episode seems to be about... Uh, sexual frustration <laughs> like harry kim yeah. uh doesn't get any and uh balana is apparently not getting any chakotay is not getting any because he's super eager to hear about balana's sex dreams um so yeah i think maybe we this is this is leading up to the orgy episode that happens in the middle of the season so prepare yourself for that oh, poor Kess. i'm completely lying to you that does not happen still poor Kess. <laughs> yeah where's Cass? what's going on with Cass? <laughs> we haven't seen her in weeks anyway I, uh, um, I we finally found somebody who doesn't like Kess, and it's Jerry Taylor. That is true. Well, we'll talk about Kess much later. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes, False Prophets, or Remember, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at truckaboutshow dot com. You can check out our Patreon, Patreon dot com slash truckaboutshow, and uh, give us some money. Thank you very much. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In. We are entering the third season of The X-Files this week, so check that out at tuninginshow.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckabout Show is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review. We have a new one this week, Richard. What? What a surprise! Uh, this was someone who sent us an email uh, saying that uh, they could not download one of the old episodes because oh. I changed all the download links a couple weeks ago and I forgot to I missed this one somehow mm-hmm. and I was very nice and I said, I am very sorry that you were not able to listen to this and I have fixed it. And in thanks, they loved us this review. Uh, so this is from made me a Trekkie <gasps> says I started listening to this podcast at a friend's recommendation. I had never subscribed to a podcast before, <gasps> nor had I watched star Trek before. But I like these guys so much, I decided to watch all the Star Trek series along with these guys. I've now listened to over 150 episodes. Whoa. Um, So I am completely being on the level here when I say that uh, I, that's all I wanted from this show. Like, (laughs) if I just turned, like, Richard and one other person onto Star Trek, then I am, this show has done its job and I am happy that people that have never watched star trek before are falling in love with star trek as much as i love it so i'm very i'm just happy i'm happy that's all i can say about that i think it's very nice that someone else is going on the same journey i did you know i i I, i'm not alone anymore although 150 episodes you fucking noob (laughs) (laughs) yeah this is like episode 200 and i don't even know anymore 
261. This is episode oh. 261, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you very much for that review. Um, it is very, very appreciated. And if you would like to be uh, featured on track about where we'll read your review, you have to leave one. So you should leave yeah. one already. Okay. And if you've left one before, then I don't know. Leave another. To, leave another. Well, you can't leave another review. Why not? Uh, you can update it and be like, it's it's a year later and they've got into Voyager now. And here's what I think. Like, you can update you this. It's the internet. These are living documents. That is true. Yeah. They're, they're, it's the end of history. There, There is no more certainty about anything. Everything is updatable. So, yeah, go do that. Which reminds me, if any of you want to create a wiki page for us, that would be lovely. Or like a whole wiki about Trek About where you can like track our jokes and things. I don't think you're supposed to tell people to create a wiki page for you, though. Oh, why not? Everybody tells you, you to create a wiki page for you. I mean... Okay, create a wiki page for us. Create a wiki page for Richard Goodness and create a wiki page for Eric Brasher and create a wiki page for Trek About and tuning in. So do that now. Right now. We're not going to end the show until you go do that. So go do it. But I want to go. I'm hungry. Yeah, I want to go to it's dinner time. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. Next week, we're going to be talking about the episodes Sacred Ground and Future's End Part 1. <laughs>